Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. And so, here we are, perched on the precipice, looking over into the swirling mists below, wondering what the future holds, gripping the safety ropes carefully. Is it time to let go yet? Is it time to release the fetters? After all, what is there to fear? What am I talking about? Well, you'll find out, won't you? This morning we awoke to the news that the people have beaten the multi-billionaire owners of England's top six football clubs as each one of them withdrew from the European Super League uh, like so many bottles disappearing off the top of a wall last night and started apologising to the fans for even thinking they could do such a thing. Mark my words, though, this is just phase one in a long battle that the owners will eventually win. Last night, there were tales of daring do doing the rounds, such as the one that had Manchester United captain Harry Maguire confronting chief executive Ed Woodward over the plans, which resulted, apparently, in Woodward offering his resignation. He's leaving the club. If that turns out to be true, uh, then Mr Maguire will live in the folklore of the club for a very, very long time indeed. But football supporters have a short memory, of course, and it could all go horribly wrong any minute now. We'll be talking to former Chelsea Spurs player Jason Cundy about what it means uh, for his club uh, and what it also means for the future of football because one thing is certain this has nothing to do with political pressure this has nothing to do with fan pressure this has everything to do uh, with them not quite getting it right but mark my words there will still be some kind of breakaway European league at some point or other in the future and if you don't believe me uh, just watch this space 03444991000 up first though we've got John Rental, chief political commentator at the Independent on the firing of veterans minister Johnny Mercer and the ditching finally of the media briefing room at Downing Street built with 2.6 million pounds worth of taxpayers money is it the end for another one of Boris's vanity projects and is it also the end for Allegra Stratton the woman who was brought into Downing Street to supposedly hold these White House style briefings which aren't now going to happen 03444991000 coming up later on we are joined by TV presenter and archaeologist Neil Oliver uh, who has a rather sanguine view of government intervention in sport and we're talking to somebody who works for a holiday company in the Mediterranean about the damage being done to the business by political hesitancy and the inability of this government to tell anyone when they can go anywhere, where they can go, and what they can do once they come back. 03444991000. As ever, of course, we want to hear from you. What have you been doing? What have you been hearing? And where have you been going? And who with? 
not like we're operating like the stars are here. We just want to hear your your story so that we can tell everybody else. Plus, of course, it's Prime Minister's questions. So Boris and Sakir will be joined today uh, by myself and Charlotte Ivers, our political correspondent. Will pubs get a mention? I wonder if Boris will try and maintain uh, the uh, moral high ground. Also, for a special bonus, we're talking to legendary Grammy Award-winning producer Steve Lillywhite as well. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest-growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, it's been quite an interesting week with one thing and another, and who better uh, to sum it all up than Mr John Rental, Chief Political Commentator at The Independent. John, a very good morning to you. Good morning. You want to know my views about the European Super League, I'm sure. I do, actually, because, I mean, uh, I I think you know even uh, less about the European Super League business than (laughs) Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer put together. But that's what's always great about politicians getting involved in football, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I used to be a fan of the uh, NFL, and I think that's a... uh, that's a brilliant system. Well, I, I think, think it is. I mean, I've been arguing like for the last two days, you would not be surprised to hear, John, against the common tide, saying, look, there's nothing wrong with the way that uh, the Super League is going to be set up. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the way the NFL works. Everything is much fairer in a way than it is in the Premier League. And also, I was pr- frankly astonished by the hypocrisy of people like Gary Neville, who took the, 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 the shilling very much so uh, from the Glazers and now wants them out. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, the NFL is uh, is... is pure socialism in action because it has this sort of self-correcting mechanism. The teams that come uh, bottom one year get the first choice yeah. of the best player uh, the next year. And that, that means that no one, no sort of small group of clubs can, can dominate uh, the, the sport in mm. the way that uh, that happens in football in this country. But, you know, what do I know? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a football fan. Um, I'm an American football fan. I used to be at least until the, uh, the, the brain damage issue got too big for me to ignore yeah uh, you're absolutely right i assume that something like this european super league will happen uh, and that uefa will reform itself because it's obviously a useless organization uh, and needs needs a fairly sharp uh, yeah. Up the backside. Well, listen. When people from FIFA and UEFA start lecturing you uh, on the sort of the traditions of football and the worthiness of the organisations with which they run it, uh, you do start to wonder whether or not you've actually woken up in some kind of ridiculous parallel universe. You know, because I seem to remember it was only a few short years ago that half of FIFA found themselves being arrested in a big dawn swoop in Zurich uh, in their very wealthy uh, hotel rooms, uh, eating uh, very nice caviar for breakfast because they'd all been on the take. Well, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I mean, I know I know very little about football, but I do know that having the World Cup in Qatar is it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, I mean, and uh, well, it was it was it was also, um, I, I would say, at the very least questionable that somehow Russia managed to get it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, you, you're you're well out of my comfort zone, I'm afraid, Mike. Well, let me take you back into your comfort zone and let's talk about the Allegra Stratton situation, first of all, because uh, here we have, and I see you were tweeting earlier, some people are suggesting we had a bet. I don't think it was me you had the bet with, the 50p I bet. Think it was you. I think it was one of my colleagues. Yeah. In, uh, in... I presume your, um, I presume when, your bet I was find... that, that it wouldn't last. Yeah, I, well, it would never happen. These, these daily televised briefings would never actually occur. Mm. I do remember the terms of the bet and I, I do feel 50 pence richer. Uh, but I can't remember who I had the bet with. But anyway, <laughs> I knew. Uh, well, I hope it, it wasn't. Was all- well, I hope it wasn't Boris Johnson because he's known for not paying up his debts. No, it was. It was not he. Um, I, I mean, it was. It was transparently a bad idea. I mean, I remember Alistair Campbell thinking about doing this mm. in uh, back 
2000, more than 20 years ago now. Um, it seems like a good idea at, at one level. You want to communicate directly with the British public uh, and not have to go through these pesky journalists. But yeah. actually, daily uh, televised briefings will just give the broadcast journalists a chance to, to ask grandstanding questions. Uh, and it will be an opportunity for the Prime Minister's spokesperson to not answer them uh, live on live on air. Right. Whereas, you know, not answering them uh, off camera, but on the record, which is the current uh, practice, is is much less damaging to, to the Prime Minister and is actually a perfectly satisfactory system for both sides. Yes. Well, as we saw yesterday, uh, the guy from the Huffington Post, I think it was, um, who asked Boris a very long-winded, two-pointed question, the second part of which was about Jennifer Arcuri, uh, which, of course, yeah. he was able to ramble on about the first part of the question and then just go, no. To the second bit, you know, um, <laughs> which completely made the made the point of the question ridiculous. I mean, it's it's all. I would have thought it's journalism one hundred and one. The best question, for example, in PMQ's last week was from a Labour member who asked Boris Johnson, "When yep. was the last time you spoke to David Cameron?" It's Absolutely, simple, right? Yep. It's short, it's, short questions and single questions. I mean, I'm afraid that the habit of my colleagues of asking two questions. Uh, every time is uh, is is very bad and and, and should stop. But uh, that that sort of thing would be worse if you had daily televised uh, briefings with a spokesperson. Yeah. So I mean, I I like uh, Allegra Stratton. I think she's actually very good. Uh, she's quite refreshing in these uh, off-camera briefings uh, because she talks like a human being. Um, you know, and she's she's a bit more colourful and real mm. than anonymous civil servant uh, spokespeople. Yeah. Uh, but you could see why uh, the Prime Minister in the end decided that it's not a great idea to have uh, have a spokesperson up in front of the TV cameras uh, not answering questions. Because, I mean, an awful lot of the time there's going to be some breaking story that the Prime Minister doesn't really want to comment on. And to have a spokesperson up in front of the cameras saying no comment and, you know, I've answered that and I'll yeah. refer, refer you to the answer I gave some moments ago. It's just not going to. It's not going to help. So no. uh, that's the reason I thought it would never get off the ground. No, quite. And also, there's no reason to have a press briefing if there's nothing to say. All that ever happens is that you then end up creating some kind of news moment which wasn't there before you went and stood up and, and, and talked about it. Because, quite frankly, as I always say to people, it's all very well saying we've got a correspondent in Newcastle. And you go, well, that's fine. But if nothing's happening in Newcastle, there's not much point in talking to them. You know, you send people where the news is. You don't just sort of stand somewhere and go, is there any news? Does anybody have a question? Yeah. Well, no, we don't have a question, but we're going to ask you about this and that's going to put you on the spot. Yeah, no, but I think the news briefings during the coronavirus uh, pandemic have been uh, have been extremely valuable. But that's, you know, they've been I disagree. I, I, I think extremely valuable is over-egging the pudding there because if the questions have been any good, they might have been extremely valuable, but the questions were not any good. And all we got was old Witty and Valence going, next slide, please, showing us all how we were all <laughs> going to die uh, unless we, we managed not to meet anybody for six weeks. I, I suspect, yeah, you didn't. You, you could probably have asked, uh, asked questions that you would have uh, approved of uh, better, but I'm not well, sure I, you well, would have approved. Well, I would have done, but I mean, quite, I mean, even yesterday, nobody asked a question yesterday, for example, about the testing that's being done uh, in schools, where the school children have all been given uh, these tests from China, which cost 2.8 billion quid, uh, which apparently are not designed to be given to people who have no symptoms. They're designed to be given to people with symptoms. So they're completely wrong right. for the purpose for which they have been given out. And so, and also the efficacy of these tests, even by Matt Hancock's own uh, advisor's admission, uh, is about 10% accurate. So that would be one question I could have asked yesterday, which nobody bothered to ask.
Um, well, I can't say I've paid attention to the whole thing, but I mean, questions have been asked about about testing, and and you're right, there is a problem with the, the with the testing regime. Um, but no, I think the I think that the press briefings have been valuable, but people want to hear from ministers and they yeah. want to hear from scientific advisors. They don't want to hear from uh, from a spokesperson, right? Uh, but they also I mean, don't. I they also don't want to hear from Robert Peston. You know, grandstanding for fifteen minutes with two questions that go <laughs> on for so long, you've forgotten what he started with. <laughs> and that's not fair. It is Robert fair. Peston. He has asked some very, very good questions sometimes. But, uh, well, I, I can't know. remember them because it's so long that I've fallen asleep before he gets to the bit where the question mark ends. You know, <laughs> Occasionally, some of my colleagues fall a little bit short of perfection. Like, Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure you would be far more rapier-like in your inquiries. But, but So does this mean it's the end of the road for Allegra Stratton? She doesn't appear to have a job now. Well, no. I mean, it's surprising because she's not actually going to carry on even doing the off-camera briefings right. as i understand it i mean maybe maybe that's to, that's still to be clarified but it looks as if she's off to be uh to, to, to be the uh the press secretary for alok sharma doing the uh the cop 26 which is the big un uh, green jamboree right so they've, so they've basically uh, had to find her another job in other words well i mean that that was going to be a very important uh event and uh i, I do think the prime minister did intend it to be a very significant uh, occasion, but actually, some of that thunder has been stolen by the, uh, the by the Joe Biden mm. summit tomorrow on uh, on uh, climate change. Yeah, uh, and you know, even in November, I'm not sure you're going to get thirty thousand dignitaries from around the world. No. Uh, well, I was going to say, I mean, is there not some doubt about whether it even takes place now in Glasgow? Well, it's certainly, it's certainly unlikely to take place on the scale originally. Uh, planned, mm. um, but because coronavirus is still going to be a problem in in large parts of the world, I suspect by uh, by November, even if uh, even if it's under control here. Yeah, well, also it's always a bit unedifying seeing you know sort of world leaders flying in on private jets to a, a climate change conference where they're telling everybody not to fly anywhere. Always, always a problem, that, right. and uh, which is what led led uh, Greta Thunberg to uh, sail across the Atlantic to go to yeah. some uh, some green conference in. Uh, in New York, right. only it emerged that some members of her crew had actually flown uh, by <laughs> by jet, yeah, and, and uh, crew the crew the ship back. Yeah, so because guess because guess what? It's quite an efficient way to travel. Um, and <laughs> she's already said that she's not going to turn up, which 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 filled me with joy. Um, but the next then the next piece of news was that they were going to look at Chris Martin from Coldplay to sort of host the whole thing, uh, which really did uh, finally put the kibosh on it for me. Well, except he said no. So uh, yeah, well, very so, wise. Best best news I've had since they said they weren't going to tour anymore. <laughs> what doing their one song? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, because you know, the happy dancing uh, by billionaires really doesn't do it for me anymore. I'm afraid I'm too old and crusty for all that sort of nonsense. Let's talk about something even more. I I think important, and that's the um, the firing because I think that's what it was last night of Johnny Mercer, which sort of came slightly out of the blue. Um, what are, what yeah. are you hearing on that front? Well, it's interesting because I think he was fired in the end because he'd been going around uh, telling people he was about to resign uh, because of this uh, overseas operations bill, which is going to be voted on uh, uh, this evening. Um, it's it's interesting. He thinks that the veterans are not being properly treated. I'd assumed that that the main purpose of the bill was, was political to try and embarrass the Labour Party. But uh, Johnny Mercer obviously feels absolutely passionately about mm. this principle of not 
uh, prosecuting uh, soldiers who served in Northern Ireland uh, a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, my view on that is, you know, if if they are guilty of serious offences uh, and there is new evidence, then then they should be prosecuted. Well, uh, except, except John, the, is, the interesting, yeah, but the interesting argument against that would be, and I think that, that it has been used by other people, is that there's an awful lot of people who are walking around in the streets of Belfast these days who were jailed for very serious offences, but who were set free as a result of the Good Friday Agreement, uh, and who are, yeah. quite, are quite happily walking around. So the idea that you're punishing people for something that they did many years ago, while other people have been set free, despite the fact that they were convicted what? of things that they did wrong, I think is is unfair. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't think you can run that argument because, I mean, you can't say that uh, the British soldiers are morally equivalent to terrorists who've been uh, who've who've been given some form of immunity as part of a. Uh, Why not? Part of a, I just don't think that's. Why? Well, because then you're then you're saying then you're saying British soldiers are no uh, are no better than. Uh, well, no, 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 no. What and you're I, saying is, no, what you're, yeah, what you're well, saying is, John, with with respect, is that the conflict that took place many, many decades ago is now something that we look back upon and we learn from. But what we don't do yeah. is punish people from one side and not the other. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I understand that. But I, I, I think that if there are very serious cases and new evidence, I think British, British soldiers should, should be held to a higher standard than uh, than, than, yes, than but it's not a very good look when you set up an office for veterans, when you promise to look after them, when you say that you're going to make sure that their welfare is taken care of, when you say all sorts of things, as as as, yeah. um, as Johnny Mercer says in his resignation letter, which is very clearly written under duress, right? Because he makes very some very, very good points in it. He says, basically, you're talking about things, but you're not doing anything. And this is becoming a, a, a current refrain, I would say, with this government. They say an awful lot of things, but they don't do very much. I don't think that's that's entirely fair on on veterans. I think the government has done uh, quite a lot on that. I think I think Johnny Mercer's problem is just this one point about what he regards as vexatious uh, pers- uh, prosecutions mm. uh, for 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 Northern Ireland. And I think that's it. That's a very specific issue, and it's a very difficult one. And I think uh, yeah, I think I think to be fair to him, I think he has resigned on an issue of principle, or at least he's been. F- He's been fired now yeah. uh, because he's threatening to resign on an issue of principle. Uh, and, you know, I think that that debate will continue. No doubt we will hear more of it in the in the House of Commons uh, this afternoon. Yes, but he's right to point out that the government have promised things and not delivered them, surely. Yeah, no, we just, well, it's been a very, it is a very, very difficult question, this. And, you I know, don't think it is. I really don't think it is. What? Well, you you well, you 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 do tend to simplify things, Mike. Sometimes, I no, think. I mean, things, but, well, things can be simplified uh, because people tend to complicate things. It would be my answer to that. And there's no complication here. You know, the people who served in Northern <laughs> Ireland uh, were fighting a very very difficult and dangerous street war with an awful lot of difficult and dangerous combatants. Right? Many of those combatants killed many of the British soldiers that that lived and worked there. Okay. Not many of those yeah. people are now walking around. Sinn Fein are now making out that. That they're, you know, the, the 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 sort of the harbingers of peace and prosperity for Northern Ireland, and I think that progressive governments have have literally laid down uh, for anything they wanted in order to keep the peace, and I think that's wrong. No, I don't. I don't think that's true. I think I think uh, you know the Good Friday Agreement was a was a balance struck uh, for the for the sake of, uh, of of lasting peace, which actually involved. Uh, concessions to, uh, to to both communities in uh, in Northern Ireland and to and to to terrorists on both sides, and I think 
I think it's very important that uh, that, that should be preserved. But I, I agree that the, the question of of uh, how you treat uh, uh, alleged offences committed by soldiers is, is extremely difficult. And uh, three prime ministers now have found it uh, have, have found it a bit more complicated than just giving uh, airy assurances that. Uh, uh, that, that soldiers won't be uh, won't be subject to vexatious prosecutions. No, sure, but equally, the only beneficiaries of any such prosecutions are the Sinn Fein um, supporting communities, and that's clearly why they uh, are thinking about doing it. Because it seems to me there's no other reason. Well, the, there's the principle of justice, Mike, which uh, which is quite important as well. But I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I, I I don't want to see these. Uh, well, where's the, where's the justice for the people, uh, the soldiers that were killed on the same day as uh, Lord Mountbatten, who was, about, I think it was about 30 of them blown up. Where's the justice for the people that were blown up in Hyde Park? Where's the justice for, you know, uh, all of the victims of the IRA who seem, uh, no, who, I, seem who seem to have to put up with the fact that the people who, who did all of the nastiness and, and killed them are now walking around? Where's yeah, the justice no, for them? I I completely agree. It's very it's very hard and uh, and very difficult. But some you know really difficult compromises were made in the cause of peace. Yeah, no, I agree. But anyway, uh, as I say, simplifying things sometimes is a better way than uh, than complicating them. But let's talk uh, finally just quickly about PMQs this afternoon. Uh, will Boris take the high ground and not mention Bath or the pub? Well, it's interesting that yeah. I... He'll probably have some really off-colour joke about it. I don't know. I mean, I don't. I, don't I certainly know, hope so. I don't know that Keir Starmer conducted himself uh, badly in that. I think. He, oh, of course he, he did. He did. He talked he down did. to a voter. He said, "I'm not going to take any lectures from you, the likes of you, i.e., a Labour voter uh, who runs a business whose business has been interrupted by the policies of not only the government but also the policies of the opposition." How dare he? And also, he then accused him more or less of being a conspiracy theorist, which he's not. Yeah, well, he should have uh, he should have engaged uh, in a in a more constructive way. I yeah, think that is I agree. True. I thought at least he at least he kept his uh, kept his cool, uh, and uh, you know it was, I don't think it was embarrassing at all. I think. Uh, well, I, I think you're the those... only person in Britain who doesn't think it was embarrassing. Well, I'm a great uh, great Keir Starmer supporter, as you know. I think he's done a fabulous job as. Uh, <laughs> as, as... That, you're you're also the only person in the, in the country who thinks that as well. <laughs> I don't think I am, Mike, actually. But, I well, mean, I do if, accept, if you check uh, the polls that you always quote at me, why aren't you quoting any polls today about Keir Starmer? Well, yeah, but the polls are very simple, aren't they? And I've said this to you before. Uh, the, the only thing people are really interested in uh, is, is the vaccines, and the vaccines are going extremely well. Yeah, so, and yeah, that's nothing to do with Keir Starmer. Right, thanks. Extremely popular. It's nothing to do with him, though, is it? No, well, but, but this is quite often the case for, for opposition leaders, is that uh, the polls don't really reflect anything to do with them. They just reflect what people think of the government. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but even, the, yeah, but even when in the dark, <laughs> but even in the dark days, John, of, of, uh, of coronavirus towards the end of last year, when things weren't going particularly well, we didn't even have the, uh, uh, the vaccine, he was still trailing in the polls. He's never been ahead. Well, no, well, he, was, he, drew, he drew level. And I think the most important thing, I mean, you know, he's got quite a lot of uh, rather ugly baggage to, to 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 leave behind him from the from the Corbyn years. That's no way to um, describe the former leader. Uh, well, I think I think Keir Starmer's the most important thing he's done is establish his his credibility. I think people could see him as a possible yeah. prime minister in the way that they couldn't see uh, Jeremy Corbyn or or Ed Miliband for that matter. No. Uh, whereas I think Keir Starmer is a potential prime minister, and if, uh, if his own party don't even want him to be prime oh, minister. Yes, they do. No, they don't. Uh, Half of them hate him. 
if the government stumbles, I think he'll be well placed to take advantage of it and uh, and and pre- present uh, the British people with an alternative for the next election. Do you want a chance to lose that fifty p you've just won? I'm not going to bet on them to do no, that. No, I don't think I you are. No, I didn't think you would. <laughs> that would be really stupid. <laughs> anyway, listen, John, I'm out of time. I'm sorry, but great to talk to you as ever. John Rental, Chief Political Commentator at The Independent. Thinks Keir Star was uh, doing well. <laughs> it's the funniest thing I've heard all week. Uh, this is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, it's been quite a week for the football business, hasn't it? Front pages have been absolutely covered in headlines. This morning, Super League crumbles as clubs bounce a fan fury, it says in the Times. Cheerio, cheerio, cheerio on the front of the sun. Uh, six as a parrot on the back page. We're going to talk now to Jason Cundy, uh, former Chelsea player, Spurs player, TalkSport presenter, of course, of some renown. Uh, good mate of mine as well. Jason, very good morning to you. Welcome uh, to the good Independent morning, Republic. Mike. Thank you so much for getting up so early to join us. I know it was a struggle for you, but listen, um, <laughs> I'm, I am sick to death, Jason, of listening uh, to some of the people in the football business who have been talking about how they've discovered suddenly that these terrible club owners have turned to greed as their salvation. I mean, it's been like this for a while, hasn't it? Yeah, the word greed gets thrown around um, in, in terms of what we've just witnessed over the last 48 hours plus. There's a number of reasons why I believe this has happened. And it kind of, I think, has escaped the notice of a lot of people is that the timing of it, I think, is is really interesting. Mm. It was announced Sunday afternoon, just after two o'clock. And the timing of that was designed to get in front of what UEFA were planning to announce on the Monday. Right. And their plans on the Monday were to announce that they were going to make the Champions League bigger. They were going to add more teams to the Champions League. Why? Well, to get more money. Right. And my belief is that the clubs decided, the big heads in European football decided that, okay, if you want to dilute this competition, and we're not going to get a bigger slice of the cake because really, in all honesty, people watch the Champions League not to watch Mulder, not to watch Michelin, not to watch these smaller teams come in, dilute it and watch a lot of games really that fans don't really want to see. We want to see the big heads. We want to see the Juve's. We want to see Chelsea. Yeah. We want to see Man United, Liverpool, Real Madrid, all of them. Yeah. And they believe, I believe they want a bigger slice of that cake. And I think it's, it, that's what it was designed to do. Yet that's been lost a little bit because, of course, it's not about what leaving the Premier League. The clubs didn't want to leave Premier League. The clubs didn't want, they wanted to stay in the Premier League. But it's been so badly handled. It's been so badly thought out. It's almost amateurish how this mm. has started and ended. It's an absolute mess. But I think what needs to be concentrated now is how we move forward, in particular with UEFA. And, and the irony of UEFA using the word greed to yeah. describe these has isn't lost on me. No, and that's a very good point you make, Jason, because you're right. I haven't even heard about that particular situation with UEFA. But what I do know is that UEFA make three billion pounds a year out of the Champions yep. League, of which they keep five hundred million, right, for administrative costs. I mean, you know, we should all have administrative costs that high. Uh, we'd all be yeah. driving around in Lamborghinis, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, so they were basically going to, and they've already expanded it bigger than it used to be uh, when it was uh, formerly. You know, you can now still you can now, you can now get into it uh, for all sorts of different reasons and all sorts of different things. But I saw a guy interviewed outside the Emirates Stadium the other day and he said, you know, Arsenal were playing Slavia Prague. You know, nobody wants to watch that. Nobody's interested in the Europa League. They're interested in the Champions League, as you say. They want to see Arsenal playing. They want to see Ronaldo playing. They want to see Messi and whoever the new, the new Messi is going to be. Um, do, you say, do you think then that this was all cobbled together a bit quickly? It feels like it, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I'm not so sure it was cobbled together quickly, but I think that goes back to the point I was making about how amateurish this, is, this appears to be. Yeah. I, I, I think that... This is something that they haven't really sat down and thought about. I think it was, I know it doesn't look like it, but I think it was to try to scare UEFA. Yeah. 
And that, so can you imagine UEFA watching every single, the, one of the biggest clubs in world football saying, we're going to leave your tournament and we're going to set up on our own. We're going to do that. Can you imagine, look, the, look, everyone was frustrated, angry and worried about how the future of football was going to look. I would say none more so than UEFA yeah. because that, that that is the golden egg. You're taking that off of them. And I think that moving forward, they need to think about how they run their competitions as well. Yeah, so are they now putting a bit of a halt on what their plan was then to expand it some more? Do you know what, Mike? Since this has happened, I, I've it wouldn't surprise me in the coming days if you start to hear a little bit more about this and certainly how the clubs are viewed and how they view themselves in Europe. Yeah. I'd be interested to see how things going forward actually play out with with these bigger clubs. With with you know, can you imagine that having Messi and Ronaldo in the Champions League, Lewandowski? And I know Bayern Munich weren't right. in there, but you would have thought if there was going to be a Super League, that Bayern would be part of it at some stage. Look, I'm not opposed to a Super League, Mike, and I think a lot of people. Let's be honest, the Champions League, in effect, is a Super League. Yeah. Okay. It is, it is that. Yeah. You know, it's just called the Champions League. Okay. And the way that it was set up was an absolute joke. It was a scandal. It was not sport. You cannot have certain clubs being in the competition every single season. The whole point of this top four race this season, which is incredibly exciting, is the fact that you earn the right mm. to go in and play in this competition. And if you don't earn the right, you don't deserve to be there. And that, that for me, is, is, was the, the, the biggest mistake about this Super League. They felt that they could just literally ring fence every single penny that came into that into that organisation. And we're talking huge sums here, Mike, as you well know. Of course. Huge sums. But... but but UEFA, if you think about what they've done, they, they themselves are ring-fencing what they pick up out of this competition. And I think the clubs are right to say, you want to dilute the competition, and the reason you're bringing in more clubs is, because, is for one reason and one reason only, is to get more money. That's why they've done it, mm. and I think the clubs are entitled to say, okay, fine, but we want a bigger slice of the cake. But when you see people like Gary Neville, um, who was obviously very upset about the plan, but now today uh, is talking about uh, maybe looking at the way that clubs are structured, looking at how much uh, ownership uh, should have uh, to do with the fans and whether we should go down the German road and make sure that fans have some kind of uh, take in, 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 in the competition and all of that. I mean, it starts to enter a bit of a dangerous world, doesn't it? I mean, we've got John Henry this morning from Liverpool apologising to the fans, but I heard somebody else uh, talking on Talk Sport, I think, this morning, saying, well, what if John Henry just says, you know what, I'll tell you what, we'll pull some of the money. Klopp, you'll take a 50% pay cut. The rest of the team takes a 30% pay cut and there won't be any more money left for any more uh, purchases as long as we uh, shall live together. I mean, they could do that, couldn't they? They could, but you know they shoot themselves in the foot, isn't it? You know you do that, and then then their their football club, their, their, the 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 reason they came into football would lose vast sums of money. Look, look I think we're all guilty here of, of where football has arrived, where we are right now. Football, as long as I've been involved in the game, has always been a business. None more so than now. Yeah. None more so now because the TV rights is is a huge okay, and there's a number of people that have been involved over the years that have ploughed millions, zillions into this competition. And when you've got that much money, Mike, inevitably there is going to be a power grab. There are going to be companies, football clubs, owners that want as much as they can so that they can then move their club forward and ultimately earn more money. Hope, look, every single owner that's come into the vast majority, I think maybe Abramovich and, and, and the Man City owners, you could argue, perhaps aren't in it necessarily for the money. They're not there because they are huge, wealthy guys. They yeah. don't need the money. But ultimately, they were involved in this as well. And, and and I felt that if there is going to be a Super League, and one day there possibly will be, you expect to see Chelsea there. You expect to see Liverpool there. You expect to see Manchester United. Those, those teams are going to be involved at what point? And it's 
Mike, it's been an absolute mess from start to finish. Mm. And, and it, then football has not come out this looking particularly well at all. No, it hasn't. But I think in the end, as you say, there will be some kind of Super League started up because people were getting the knickers in a twist about this idea that, oh, nobody's going to get relegated. I don't think that matters. It works perfectly well in basketball. It works perfectly well in NFL football in America where there's plenty of fans. There's plenty of space for them in the stadium. There's plenty of money. Um, and nobody cares that nobody gets relegated. And it's actually a fairer system because if you come bottom uh, of, the, of, the, of the conference, the uh, the NFC conference, you know, you get first draft pick next next time around for the best quarterback that's coming out of college, and I think that actually is a better model in some ways than the Premier League. Oh, Mike, don't, Mike, that's, Come on. that's a dreadful idea. No, it it's isn't. Dreadful, no, it it's isn't. A dreadful idea. It means mate. that Chelsea, if you won the Premier League, right, it would mean that yeah. the, the team that was at the bottom would get the best players coming out of the best uh, places. But we don't have that system, really, do we? We don't have that system. And, that, and there's a reason we don't have that system, because it's not, it's not a, it's, that's not what football is about. And Americans have their sports, right? And they do very well. And they, and they you know, I, that's fine. That, that's, that, if it works for them, that's fine. But over here, it's different. And it's a European league here as well. You know, we, the, the beauty of the Champions League is that we do see the best teams from around Europe. And it is a brilliant competition. Don't make no mistake about that. It is a fabulous competition. But you cannot, for me, you cannot have a ring-fenced league where you, the only teams are in it are the only teams that will ever be in it. That, to me, doesn't give Leicester, West Ham, the opportunity to fight as they are this yeah. season, get into that Champions League and, and, and have a dream of playing against the best players in the world. That's why I, that's why, that's why I love my sport football, that, that there is a way through. Leicester proved that when they won the Premier League. Let's to prove that you can do it in a different way. You don't necessarily have to be one of the biggest football clubs in the world, one of the, of the biggest budgets in the world. You can do it if you get things right. Yeah, but every, team, but every team in the NFL has an opportunity to win the Super Bowl, and they do. It's not, it's not got a grip on it but by certain teams at the very top. It's not always the New York Giants. It's not always the New England Patriots. It's not always the San Francisco 49ers, because if they win it one year, the next year, another team has a go. But can a, can a side rise from the third tier of, in, of, of American sport in this particular instance, like a Leicester did, and rise through the leagues, get themselves into the championship, no. get themselves up into the Premier League, avoid relegation no. with three games to go the season before, and the next season win the Premier League? Then I don't want to know it. If that's how it's going to be, if, that's, if is there only a set amount of teams that can achieve anything? You know, this is why we've got this relegation system. This, this year, the fight for survival... Not this year, maybe, but on the vast majority of seasons, I find as fascinating and as interesting and as nerve-wracking as Oka's going to win the title. One of the two Manchester clubs is going to win it, more than likely City. And this season, it looks like the bottom three are going to go down. But do you know what? We don't know yet. But City, and, if, and I'm sorry if, if this is going to upset any Manchester City fans, Manchester City have bought success, haven't they? There's no point in pretending that anything else is the case. They have bought success with money from Abu Dhabi and the royal family of Abu Dhabi, which is basically a country backing a football team how does that feel if you're playing in the third tier well okay life's not fair and football isn't i'm not saying football's perfect okay and you know i know my i know my sport and it's got its failings but you're still going to get things right manchester city haven't won the champions league yet the money they've thrown at it liverpool were the first football club in premier league history to spend a billion pounds on transfers and still not win the premier league they've won it now they were champions last year but throwing money at it doesn't necessarily guarantee you anything my club, Chelsea, yeah? Roman came in. I'm, I'm under no illusions that had Roman not come into Chelsea Football Club, we would probably have not won the Premier League and we probably wouldn't have won the Champions League. I'm under no illusions about that, mm. OK? But we don't do it every year. 
Look where Chelsea are now. We've only got, we only joined uh, fourth with, and we're fourth on goal difference with West Ham. West Ham's budget is different to Chelsea. Huge difference. Why? Because they've got invested their players. They brought in a couple of players from the Czech Republic. They've got the balance of the team right. David Moyes doing a fabulous job. Brendan Rodgers, who's third right now. You know that that to me, you you can still have a successful season, still achieve a lot in this game without throwing zillions at it. Man City got the best manager. And they've got a huge squad. And it's they're difficult to knock off their perch. But you know what? Next season, Liverpool will come stronger. Chelsea will come stronger. Man United will come stronger. And again, we start that process again. That's why I love football. It's a great, uh, it's a great point of view, Jason. That's why we've got you on. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. A man of great passion. Uh, he'll be on TalkSport later on, of course. Jason Cundy, uh, former Chelsea player, sport, Spurs player as well, TalkSport presenter. A man who scored one of the greatest accidental goals of all time, by the way. If you want to look it up on uh, YouTube, uh, you will find it. 
Well, you can argue with that, yeah, definitely. With UEFA and FIFA, uh, what they've taken out of the game, obviously, to change the format in the uh, Champions League so mm. they get more games and more money. Uh, and I'm with you a little bit. I thought one stage this was going to happen, yeah. but I don't think they planned it properly. I don't think they got the, uh, you know, the, the, the clubs have got to go to the managers and the players and sit down and say, look, this is the way forward. Uh, and it sounded like the managers didn't know a lot about it. Uh, the players certainly didn't know a lot about it. Um, and, um, you know, in the end, it just shows you how strong the fans are. I mean, once they get behind something, you know, I'm, I'm so pleased that they have turned it around. But I reckon they'll go back to the drawing board and then they'll sort another uh, in a few years, maybe when it, the dust settles a little bit, to say, right, we're going to come back with a better idea mm. to try and try and move this forward. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally with with the fans at the moment that uh, it's gone back to normal and, and the clubs, the six clubs have uh, pulled out. Yeah, but there's no point pretending, is there, Ray, that the, the, the clubs well, no. really care too much about the fans because, I mean, I think it was down more maybe to the players and the managers because I love the story about Harry Maguire uh, going in to see Ed Woodward and I've got this vision of him sort of putting him up against the wall and going, Oi, Woodward, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? <laughs> Woodward's now quit, right? He's walking out of Manchester yeah. United. So that's a pretty big scalp for the captain of Man United. Well, we all know, we all know that, you know, when these, um, you know, consortiums or, or businesses are buying clubs, they're not in it for the love of the football. They're in it to make money. Mm. It's simple as that. So how they can make money is do what they're trying to do, is obviously get a, a, a league. And they, they forget about the history of, of, of football in England and how the different generations in football have grown up uh, and supported. And it's a passion for, for a lot of people. It's their lives. You know, I think he's a working-class sport, and my my dad used to save up because they had two boys to, to, to football on a Saturday every now and again. So you know, that's that's what you want to see. You want to see the passion of the supporters, and uh, obviously this was going against all the the morals in football, really. So like right, the untouchables, the twelve clubs are untouchable, and no one can get near them clubs. Uh, they're going to earn all the money, and before all the rest of you, you just have to sit there. And there's been there's been some great stories in in the Premier League. Look, Leicester City when no one thought they could win the league. West Ham at the moment. You know, Arsenal will go into the, the untouchables, but they're nowhere near the Champions League at the moment. So why, why is that? I know they're a bigger brand globally, but West Ham deserve it. It's all about merit for me. It's all about you start off, the start of the season, everybody's on the same same wavelength, and everybody's going to go to try and get into Europe, trying to avoid relegation certain clubs. And then it's, you know, it's on merit. Who does the best? And... You know, I, I just don't agree with what they was trying to do with, you know, these clubs will be untouchable. It's like a cartel, you know. It's like, well, you, this, this, these clubs are here to stay. We're going to earn all the money. Hard luck to all the rest of you. And, you know, further down, down the line, you'll have to cancel the FA Cup, Carabao Cup. There'll be too many games in the Premier League kept the six clubs. But the Premier League, I thought they would have come out with a statement saying, look, you're out of the Premier League. Yeah. If you go that way... You, you can you can't have both ways. You can't have both ways uh, and and say well. I'm but, then, the but then here. but then that would have, they would have been the cutting off they, they would have been cutting off their money supply as well. Now you can't see what we're showing probably at the moment, Ray. But uh, because we weren't able to get you on video, we've had to put a picture up of you, and it, it seems to be you in a hot tub with about four other blokes <laughs> um, looking like Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin. Oh right, okay. Yeah. I don't know if you remember like... that picture. Where was it taken? Uh, where was that? That was oh, that was many, many. Uh, was that when I was young? Were, were yeah, but quite a bit young, younger, was, I would say. Yeah, I don't well, think that it's was recent. the start of the Sky Sports, believe it or not. Was it? Uh, yeah, that was the start of the Premier League, which again, which it, everybody it was, argued about when they started, didn't they? It was very similar. I mean, Premier League took over. Big, like, no, no more League One. We're going to go take this forward. It's, it's very similar. Fifteen clubs went that way. 
uh, and formed the Premier League Premiership mm. at the time. So yeah, it's, it's not it's not a lot different. But I can see where the fans are coming from, and I can see where the concerns are. You know, I, I don't know what the the, the future. But in is. the end, Ray, I, I think it's going to be impossible to resist because what old uh, uh, Florentino Perez is saying at Real Madrid is that they can't get enough young fans to come and watch the sport anymore. So they've got to branch out. They've got to sell the streams and they've got to mm. sell the live uh, TV to places like China and America and India. Well, Mike, if you if you go around the world, and I've been lucky enough to go around the world, the Premier League is such a big league. Mm. It, they, they haven't got a problem selling it. I think the league is a lot more uh, exciting. Uh, we know that you know the bottom clubs are con- con- concerned over the big clubs. I think that the, the, the league itself is broke, and that's why Perez is saying, "Well, wait a minute, I need a bit of help here yeah. to, to get people back involved, back involved, back following Barcelona, back following Real Madrid, or wherever it's going to be." And the Premier League can help me here because they've got the most exciting teams at the moment. They're, they're competing in the Champions League every single year and getting to finals, and we need those teams in our league if we're going to be successful mm. to uh, get this going again. But I don't think the Premier League's broke at the moment. I really don't. I think it's still getting strong. It's very strong around the world. People, you know, I know for a fact people in China are getting up to watch games at certain hours of the uh, hours of the morning mm. to just to see the game. So I don't think we've got a problem in the, in the Premier League. I think that in Spain they've got a problem. And that's why Perez is the main man trying to trying to turn this around. Yeah, maybe because they haven't got enough decent teams. Ray, listen, great to talk to you. Thanks for sparing some time for us. I know you're a busy man. Ray Parler, former Arsenal footballer, legend of Arsenal, uh, you might say, of Highbury, of course, part of that team, the Invincibles, who never lost a game uh, when they won the league way back when. And also, a rather nice picture of him in the hot tub, uh, for those of you who like that sort of thing. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, here's an interesting little piece of information for you. Wouldn't you know it? We were talking about this with Angela Levin on Monday. Uh, I was saying, you know, the most important thing and the most uh, easy way to discuss and and figure out whether or not Prince Harry has made up uh, with the rest of the royal family or the Herbert formerly known as Prince, as I used to call him. I was willing to give that title up for a while because I thought if he is actually talking to his brother, William, if he has had a summit meeting with his father, if he has worked out some kind of rapprochement uh, so that the family can actually get along, if he has apologised for some of the terrible allegations that he made about his own family being racist. That would be good. But I would say I would take an indication of how well that had gone, depending on when he goes back to America. And of course, um, the Queen has a birthday today, and it is her birthday today. Is Harry here? The question is a good one, and I'm afraid the answer is no, Harry is not here. Harry has gone back to America, and he went yesterday. Why couldn't he stay for the Queen's birthday? Why couldn't he hang around for an extra couple of days? Did Meghan demand that he return? Did Meghan claim that he had to go there? I think that's a pretty despicable move uh, by the Herbert, formerly known as Prince. Uh, We'll talk more about that later on. Let's talk to Ryan, who's in the New Forest. Hello, Ryan. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? Very well indeed. Very well indeed. What can I do for you? Oh, good. Can you hear me okay? I can. You're You're slight. You sound a bit echoey, but otherwise fine. Oh, I'm in another rich person's giant farmhouse again. Oh, well, there you they're go. They're decorating for them. Yeah, that's good. Well, look, I, wanted to talk, I thought I was uh, listening to you yesterday and I was sort of at the radio going, oh, please, Mike, come on. I thought you were the man of the people. And I, I, am. I know that you were sort of, I, I know, but I know that to not champion the cause so much and to, to sort of offer up the Americanism of the sport, so I was a bit like, oh. I thought, which cause I thought do you want me to ch- Well, Hang on, which cause are you talking about? Well, I mean, because, like, you know, we, we, I, I feel... 
uh, to be slightly you know more overarching and profound with it, I think that the football thing for some was just like the, the nail on the head of a massive change in society that, that we're all having trouble with. I mean, you know, I'm, I, uh, we've got the social media element that we're trying to deal with kids that are dealing with one society when we grew up in a completely different one, void of it. Um, you know, the football then, uh, you know, we've had obviously all the pandemic, all the changes that might come in that. And I think the football hit the, was just literally the icing on the cake for a lot of people. that would have tipped Are, you, are you saying to me out. that you thought that football was the working man's sport? No, not at all. No, no, what I think it was is that it, even though it's been exploited, there was still the normality, the, still, the framework was still there. The, the American dream as such or whatever, that anyone can make it was always part of it. Um, and even though I said about the Americanization of sports, they still got that at the crux yeah. of the democratic endeavours. But still, I feel that it's, it's, that, I think, really pushed people over the edge. And I think that if it would have changed... I mean, to, to, if, if we can't, we could be, people, they were referring to people as legacy fans. Yeah. And I think that they, in, at the moment, we've got a lot of people that are in legacy mode. For but that hasn't changed. Life, and I think that everything... But that has, I mean, today they're still calling them legacy fans. That's not, that's not any different than it was yesterday. No, no, I think that that's still... I don't think that's going to change at all. I think that what I'm saying is it's like you, it, there is going to be a change. You are right in that. I think there is going to be something mm. that does eventually happen. I mean, it can't happen the way it was going to. I mean, that would, just, that would have been too much. Uh, you, you know, you would, have, you would have really removed the game yeah. so far. But don't, but don't you think it's a bit hypocritical, though, Ryan, to make out that somehow, you know, greed hasn't already taken over football? Because it has. Oh no, it has. But I think that, like I say, we would have then it would have then put it firmly in their hands rather than actually take. You know, the, the, there is still an element, like Jason Cundy said, there is still a Leicester that can win the league. There are still people like yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but Leicester are not some. Yeah, week. but hang on, Leicester are not some pokey little club. They're run by uh, a multi-billionaire family from the Far East, right? They're also uh, employing people at ridiculous sums of money. You know, how much do you think they're paying the players there? Well, of course, hundreds of thousands of pounds a week. I mean, it's not like some little, you know, it's not like some little backwards team that have come up from the amateur league. No, I get that. I mean, like I say, there is there is the hypocrisy in it, but I think that to actually then have taken the game completely out of the grasp of. Uh, of the structure that has always been there. Like I say, really, I think it was more of a death of the old world. You know, like everyone's saying about this new eco thing, this, this uh, at the moment that's going to happen and there's going to be a change. And I think the thing with the football being completely taken away from people is it, it will happen, like you say, in some form of respect. The legacy fans will be referred to as that. The world will become digital, will become eco, everything will happen. But yeah, I think that the, the, the people trying to deal with those changes, I feel that we, we, it will be reflected back in many years to come, that we are on such a important part of history this last 20, 30 years that we're not even realising how important it is and how much it will change. Yeah, interesting point, Ryan. I'm going to put that point right now to Neil Oliver, archaeologist, TV presenter. Uh, Neil is ready. I think we've got him. Neil, very good morning to you. Good morning, mate. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Do you think Ryan's right? Do you think that we'll look back on this period of our lives and go, blimey, um, what changed and when did it change and how did it change so quickly? Oh, without a doubt. Uh, I, I can't, I mean, just in the context of my own life, I, I think this is the most uh, tumultuous period of change uh, and disruption that I've lived through. Um, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm 54, you know, so I've seen, I've seen a few changes come and go, but I think, I think what's happening around us, the, the societal changes uh, and, the, and, the, and the potential for, for yet more fundamental change to the way that we relate to one another, the freedoms that we've had in the past and the and potentially the loss of those freedoms in the future, 
Oh, without a doubt, this is this is a, a, we are living through a moment of very memorable history that people will be writing oh. about, talking about, and thinking about for decades to come. Do you think any of it will be for the better? Um, no, I think it's the straight I think, answer. Yeah, I think I think the answer. Yeah, the straight answer is no. I think <laughs> the best you could say is that. It need people need to be challenged. Mm. I think I think you need to show people that what they've been taking for granted uh, can be taken away just so. Mm. Uh, and, and when people, hopefully, when enough people see that that freedoms and and, and the way of life uh, is 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 a fragile thing and that it can be taken from us, uh, then that might that sh could and should galvanise people to be aware. Uh, so the only the only positive I could possibly take out of it at the moment. Is this idea that perhaps people can see? Wait a minute! Wait a minute! The way we live uh, is a gift, and and should be treated as such. Mm. Yeah, I think that's interesting, isn't it? Because there are. I've, I've always been very optimistic, as, as you know. You and I've been speaking for a long time about all of this, and and I've always like looked forward rather than backwards in terms of what might be a better place for us to find ourselves in and and I think maybe if we think about it we might have learned something about ourselves I mean you know we've spent an awful lot of time thinking over the last year and probably more than at any other time in our lives because you would have been very busy as I would have been rushing around all over the place I mean it's quite funny now that I find myself um, able to go out for dinner I've actually only been out once for dinner you know because I'm kind of it's not that I don't want to do it. It's just that I'm sort of arranging a few things. And I have, what I haven't done is so is, is go, great, I can now go out for dinner every night. I'm going to do it. I'm, I've, I've found yeah. myself quite contemplative about that. Yeah, I can't. We can't do that here. Uh, north of the border here, we, we, can't, we can't do that yet. Uh, for me, the, the whole thing around uh, the football story was genuinely fascinating. Mm. You know, I, I'm not a football uh, follower at all. Never have been. It's always been a bit mysterious to me. But having said that, I've, I've been very close with and been very fond of many people down through the years who have loved the game. And, and I've, I've seen what it means to people. I, I, had a, I had a friend years ago when I lived in, in, uh, in, in Edinburgh uh, who took more time off work when Celtic got knocked out of the Scottish Cup than when his mum died. Right. And he loved his mum dearly. Right. But he lived and died by the fortunes of his football club, without, without a doubt. And, mm. he, and, he, and he didn't like being questioned about it. And I've had other friends in the past, and I think there's something, although I don't, although I don't follow it, I appreciate, and I think it's very important that we've been reminded about there are certain things that, that hold the, the fabric of society together. And for many, many people, billions of people around the world, it is football. And I think it was very interesting, very valuable to see over the last few days that, that when provoked, of all things about football, so many people rose up and said, no, mm. that, that's, that's too far. And, you know, we've got, there are, the, in, as in so many cases, it was billionaires, it was the machinations of billionaires that were, that were driving that story briefly. But then the billions, which is us, rose up and said no that there are certain things that will not be tolerated and that has to be encouraging now whatever whatever other i mean i'm sure it was in large part all about the money but also for the fans it was about it was about life and death and something profound and important and valuable and if, if people can extend that feeling of of how much their club means to them to the, to how much the country should mean to them and how much the and, and how much uh, sense of identity they get from from belonging to the nation mm. In the same way, I mean, I can under I can understand that. I mean, football, you know, the fact that it, it provides people with a sense of belonging, but to something bigger than themselves, it gives them a feeling of ownership, 
in, in a small way of something bigger than themselves. But then on the pitch, on any given moment, there can be, you know, there can be a, an individual can, can, can suddenly, like, like the sun coming through clouds, an individual can demonstrate, you know, an almost godlike ability. And there, there are unforgettable moments. And it's, it, all of that comes together in a cocktail. And, and that people take so much from football. If they could only, if they could only extend that sense of belonging and that profound sense of what the country means, if they could extend mm. it to the way they feel about the liberties of the nation, then I think there are, there's, there's, a, there's a deep and important lesson to be drawn about the power that we, the people, have when the, when the billionaires try to run our lives. You know, they do listen when enough enough of the well they listen they listen when they have to listen when they're forced to listen and i think that's a valuable lesson that we've learned there but i wonder whether because a lot of people i'm i'm like you um you know i i know loads of people who who absolutely swear by their football club and you know they feel terribly attached to it they feel like almost religiously uh, you know bound to it you know and they won't hear anything said against it i mean i've had loads of arguments over the last couple of days with people uh, who have said you just don't get it because you're not a proper football fan you don't understand which may well be true um i just think it's a little bit blind to, to follow anything uh, in, in in that way with, with without being terribly critical of it but i wonder whether the reason that people are not rising up about what our freedoms are being attacked by uh, is because they don't have that collective feel of something that they know they it represents them, you know, like i.e. the country is no longer something that they put their faith in. That's that's that seems tragically to be the case uh, that, that that many people have uh, lost that that sense of belonging. But I I haven't. I mean, where where I don't and haven't ever supported a football team, and I, and I don't follow sport generally, but I I have derived that that same sense of belonging. Uh, you know, from my, uh, you know, love of country, love of history, you know, my sense of being a, a small part in a, in a longer, more fascinating story. Mm. You know, that yeah. it's that context that, that is part of what gives me uh, meaning in my life day to day. And that was why I have felt so, so deeply the threat to the way of life and the, and the liberties and all the rest of it. I had, I'll freely admit I had, I had also taken, taken some of that for granted. Um, and, I, and I do, I do feel that we need we need uh, individuals, people to, to stand up and come forward and to say the right things now, uh, because the the foundations have been rocked. Enough has happened over the last twelve months, surely to show people how much change is in the air and how much stands to be lost, or if you don't want to say lost, changed fundamentally. And if enough of us, if enough of us can stand up together, and if if just a handful of people. I think it would be just a handful of people that would be required to stand up and speak from the heart and to and to remind people what it is uh, about the country that has meant so much to so many of us for so long. Mm. As I said at the, at the beginning of this chat, I think the fact that there's been a challenge to us, challenges can be timely. You know, you can need that sort of cold water to the face realisation that what you've got is not forever. And if, and if people could, could, uh, could, could build from this, and, and stand up, you know, as the as the football fans did in that context, and say, no, you're not taking that from us. This mm. is our thing. Then, if, if people stand up and say that the way we have lived in the past is mm. our thing, it's not their thing. This this way of life in this country is our thing. Right. It belongs. Well, this is this is what I found myself being mystified by yesterday. I was watching two different news channels, um, both of which were, were tra- championing this green 
revolution that we're supposedly going through. And the journalists were talking as if this was something that we all wanted, you know. So we'll all have to think about getting an electric car. We'll all have to think about the way that we heat our homes. We'll all have to eat a bit less meat. We'll all have to eat a bit less cheese. I'm going, excuse me, you know, I, I didn't vote for any of this. I didn't ask anybody to tell me what I should be living like. I didn't say that I elected people uh, or put people in charge of running the country. Uh, in order to tell me what to do. And we seem to have got, like, Keir Starmer in the pub the other day saying, I don't need to be lectured by the likes of you to a man who voted for him, who pays his wages, who actually has a business to run that he's being prevented from running because of the government. I mean, I find it quite astonishing that so many people are willing to let these characters who we pay to work for us to tell us how to live. Yes, I, I, as part of my kind of lifelong belief in small government, I, I've, I've never wanted or felt the need of people I don't know telling me, giving me advice about how to live my life. You know, I, I take that kind of advice from people that I love mm. and, and who love me, you know, and, and who know me well. I certainly don't take it from, you know, from, from, from elected officials, you know, whose, whose path has, has never crossed my own. There's, a, there's an aspect to, to this lecturing that's going on from the you know the World Economic Forum, from you know uh, uh, and, and pronouncements from others yeah. on high about how we should be living. Right. I always want. I always wonder why you never see any of them begin to live the life themselves that they are recommending no. for the rest of us in the future. You know, in that sort of Saint Francis of Assisi way. Mm. You know, someone that you know that espoused you know the ascetic life and poverty and and and, and he did it. You know, and he led because he lived he lived in that way. Now, why don't some of these people uh, from the World Economic Forum, or or indeed any of the any of the, the high-profile people that are saying that this is how we should be living, why don't they do it? You know, why don't they, at their own expense, modify their homes uh, uh, so that they are the kind of yeah. homes that they think we should all be living in? I, I know many of them are living whatever plant-based diets and all the rest of it, which is fair enough. But so should the rest of them. They shouldn't be they shouldn't be travelling around by fossil fuels. It, something like Davos that that should shut down. Yeah. That should be a video conference call mm. forever, right. because if, if they're espousing the need to do away with, you know, uh, 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 aircraft and uh, and uh, internal combustion engines and fossil fuels, then they should be living like that. And Why bank and banquets, which probably cost even more money. Because I, I would say, you know, if you're if you're at a junction and you're watching a, a, a juggernaut as it's about to pull out, you can tell what it's about to do just by keeping an eye on the front wheels. You know, they start to turn and you can see what it's going to do before the vehicle moves. And if you keep an eye on these leaders, you know, the Tony Blairs and the rest of them that spout about how the rest of us should be living, mm. watch what they're doing. And if they're not doing it, why should any of us? Right. And if it is a viable way to live, then they should be leading by example and leading from the right. front. But even but if the, even if that is the case, though, Neil, why on earth do they think they have been given the God-given uh, right to, to tell us how to live because we're employing them at the end of the day, you know? No, no, they're not. They're not. They, you know, said last week, you know, we are the, the people who generate m money with our whatever small businesses mm. and, 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 the, and the ways that we live. You know, we are profit and they are overhead. You know, they cost us money every time they step into these buildings. Uh, and I think it's because they don't get enough challenge. And I think they've They've, they've allowed themselves, because of the way in which they're produced, because they're career politicians, you know, they come out of, so many of them come out of elite schools, uh, elite universities, uh, and, they, and they bring with them that age-old uh, tradition of, you know, the right to rule. And they, and they believe that, that simply on account of being the sort of people that they believe themselves to be, that they know best. 
and they know best to the extent that they that it is one rule for them and it's other rules for the rest of us. You know, that's not a new thing. That has no. been a fast of people that rise to power down through the, you know, down through the ages. But they need to be challenged. And, and, and at the moment, we've got this ridiculous, invidious situation where we don't have an opposition in, in Westminster, in, no. in, in, in the House of Commons. The, the opposition, whenever the government does something, the opposition's response is to say, you should have done more of it earlier. Yes. And that was and, what Rod Humphrey's uh, problem was with Keir Starmer. Uh, and he got talked he got talked down to. Uh, he got dismissed as a crank. Uh, he was referred to as a sort of conspiracy theorist, practically. It was a shocking way uh, that he was reacted to by Keir Starmer and the Labour Party. I've never been... I've just never felt reverential. No. Uh, towards no. towards, towards th- these, these, these individuals. Uh, in, in the same way that I've, I've always looked on, frankly, at... at at people idolising, you know, footballers or football mm. clubs, not getting it. Although I can sort of objectively understand it, I've never, I've never joined a political party. No. And at general election time, I always find it a genuine struggle to find who on earth am I going to put a, a marker, you know, on the mm. on the ballot slip for this time? Because I never, I never really particularly care for any of them. No. I've never understood that reverential approach that so many people have to them. You know, we have to we have to stop treating these people as though they're anything special. They're just elected officials who are supposed to to keep the the, the scaffolding of our society, you know, strongly bolted together. Mm. Instead of inviting themselves to tinker about with some of the fundamental planks and rods that are holding the whole thing yeah. together. I mean, surely, yeah, surely to, to, to well, this is it. I mean, surely to God, if people can make the analogy that if you own a football team, you're simply a custodian of something which has been around for a very long time, then surely we should have the same attitude to our politicians, that all they're doing uh, is managing something for a while uh, until such time as they stop doing it and somebody else starts. And they have no that's business changing anything and no business telling us how we should be doing it. That's exact. That's exactly right. That's why the, I understand why a lifelong fan of a football club believes that the club belongs to them yeah. in a way. A, a multi-million pound signing, he doesn't own the club, and nor does a chairman, and nor does some you know oligarch from elsewhere mm. own the club. The people who who are born to it turn out, support it, live and die by the triumph and disaster of the team, without a shadow of a doubt. Those are the people who own the club. They don't own it in pounds and pence terms, so to speak, but they absolutely, it's the supporters and the fans who own these clubs. And the and the, the analogy in the political context is that these elected officials are just here today and gone tomorrow. You know, yes. And they should do their best while they've got a few minutes on the pitch. But the, the club, the club, which is Britain, which is, you know, which is the, which is the entity that matters, belongs to us. Right. Exactly right. Exactly right. Unfortunately, Neil, we're out of time. And even more unfortunately, uh, we're, we're out of time sort of, you know, in a big way, because I've had a great time talking to you over the course of the past year. Uh, but it's going to come to an end, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I know. Mike, I have to say, you know, you contacted me out of the blue, I don't know, it must have been the best part of a year ago. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, you know, happily began, you know, this conversation that we've been having. And it has been, for me, it's been transformational, uh, you know, the, the the relief every week of having the opportunity to talk with you uh, the, the, and to share these views. The, the letters that we've been having a laugh about that have been that have been coming my way, the vast majority of them are, are from people that, that hear me, you know, every week on talk radio. And the, and, the, and those that, you know, that, that sense that there's people out there who think like we do, you know, is overwhelming in, in its significance for me. And it's, you know, it has changed, you know, so much about my outlook and so much about how I've understood, I mean, even myself but, mm. and certainly my, my fellow citizens. 
the fight the fight for common sense has to be fought in more than one in, in more than one theatre of war and I'm I'm going to go off and, and, and have a go at opening up another one but, but, and, and getting something else uh, going. But, I mean, I cannot thank you enough and the, and the people that, have, that I know who've listened every week and have nodded along with our conversation, my, my feeling of solidarity and, uh, and, and feelings of affection and connection to, to all of those people that, that are listening and have listened, you know, I'll, I'll carry that with me forever. Well, listen, Neil, it's been an absolute pleasure for us as well, and for me personally. Um, so I wish you well in your new endeavour, and uh, we'll still be seeing each other, and we still have to have lunch or dinner or something at some point whenever we can uh, get you, break you out of Scotland uh, for, a, for, for a short while. I may have to come close to the border or something, but we'll do that. Long live the independent Republic of Mike <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, Neil Oliver. What a great guy. Uh, he's off to go do something different. Uh, we are always going to be here uh, doing the same thing, but differently with other people uh, who we will find and who we will meet and who we will uh, enjoy. So, have no fear. Uh, this is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Right now, though, I'm delighted to say, uh, for the first time on video, uh, Steve Lillywhite, legendary music producer, multiple Grammy Award winner, Chelsea fan as well, uh, man of the people uh, in some respects. Steve, welcome. Very good afternoon to you. Oh, Mike, great to see you too. Yeah, oh, wow, I mean, look. listen, since we last spoke, since I last saw you, in fact, we've basically become a television channel. So uh, so now we do everything on video that we can do. So I'm delighted to see you over there. Uh, I assume you're in Jakarta. Um, I don't always uh, know. Oh, look, there it is. Yes, yes, yes. It's dark already. Yes. Um, Ramadan has started. So all my staff were very grumpy until they could eat about... Uh, about 45 minutes ago. Oh, okay. And do you go along with that as well? Do you do the same? No, but I think it's an honourable thing because the whole point of it is to remember people who are not as um, as well as 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 lucky as you are. Yeah. But the fact is, there's no there's no drinking liquid, and I find that very difficult. Yeah. I can I, I I do the intermittent fasting, which has nothing to do with uh, with God or anything. But you know, I like intermittent fasting because. You know, but I drink water all the time during yeah. it and stuff. Yeah, I mean, anyway, I know my, my daughter's in Dubai and she uh, she says it's a real struggle for a lot of people there because it's so hot, um, in, yeah. you know, throughout the course of the, of the day and they're not allowed to drink any water, which must be must be very tough. But listen, let's talk about Chelsea because, um, you know, quite a remarkable week for the football business. And one of the reasons why all of these clubs were talking about wanting to form this new Super League was because of the fans that they've got in parts of the world where you are, China, Southeast Asia, you know, America, India, all of that. Um, and it is a massive, a massive market, isn't it? Oh, it, it's crazy here. I, I um, you know, I can watch all the games here. You, you, uh, you people have got T-shirts. They're all bootlegged. They're, they're not the official ones of right. the club, but... You know, there's there's a huge Liverpool following here, right? Uh, and and Chelsea, and you know, it is the big. You know, we call it the big six, but outside of Thailand, of course, which is where Leicester are very big, yeah, because because they have that connection with Thailand. Mm. You know, the, those big six clubs, you can understand what they wanted to do, but of course, it's not. You know, you can't use American um, business sense for such a deeply rooted cultural pastime as football you know and and that's the trouble you know mm. we because it, it, it's the fans of the six big clubs who don't want you know who want to have it that we could get relegated yeah you know 
Yeah, even though that's not very likely to happen. It seems to me that, uh, from what I've been saying, I was talking to Jason Cundy earlier, um, uh, yeah. of course, former Chelsea player, who said that it seemed, this all seems to be emanating from Real Madrid because the Spanish league is not doing terribly well and the Spanish teams need more money and they need more kind of um, traction in other parts of the world. So I don't think this is going away. They might just have to rethink how they do it, maybe. Yeah, I think that's going to happen. Now, to be honest... You know, I don't know what your thoughts of uh, about the German system where the fans actually own a percentage of the club. Yes. You know, By if, law. if you couple Yeah, if you coupled that with salary caps, yeah. I think you'd be really on the way because you wouldn't get that those crazy rich players and the fans would have some form of ownership of the club. Yes, but I wonder how many of the players, particularly those that come in from, from foreign countries, would just disappear off if you suddenly told them, sorry, mate, uh, you can't have 250000 a week. You're only going to get 100000 a week uh, because we've got a salary cap. Do you think they would still want to play in it? Well, it, it would be... It would be something that would have to be done worldwide. But, you know... That's okay. I mean, whenever the rules are changed, the rules are changed for every single country that plays football. So you just change the rule for you have the salary cap in each country. Yeah. I mean, I'd be more than happy to see the footballers making a bit less money. But I mean, I was winding a few people up earlier this week because basically I said, you know, the idea that somehow football has suddenly got greedy is ridiculous. I mean, football's been greedy for quite a long time now, hasn't it? And money's been the main main driver of that. Yeah, but Mike, at our age, we will not be footballers. That's true. You know, so, you know, you can understand the idea that they should probably get them, you know, a, a good salary. And it is market value, you know, but sometimes the market has to just be tweaked a little bit. And, um, you know, salary caps, fantastic. And the player uh, and, and the fans owning part of the club sounds like a good idea to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think that could work. But then again, um I think that would result in them having less money to spend. Um, and then maybe the fans would have to pay more to go and see them. Not in Germany. Germany has very, very cheap tickets, as you know, Mike. Yes. Yeah, but Germany also doesn't have many v- great football teams. I mean, you know, you don't see many German teams in the Champions League doing terribly well. There's only really well, one or who two, won, isn't there? Who won, who won the um, Champions League last season? Bayern Munich. Yes. Who did Erling Haaland play for? The the hottest player in the world. He plays for Borussia Dortmund. Yeah. You know, many, many players go over to Germany to play now. You know, so that it's it's not like Germany. Germany is not like, you know, Germany has a very, very good a good league. The Bundesliga is a very good league. It's not so, bad, but they've only got about three decent teams, haven't they, in the end? Yes, but 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 all countries do. You know, it would. It, that's the trouble. Well, that you know, Schalke have been good. I don't know, but um, I mean, after Chelsea's nil-nil draw with Brighton, oh. you'd have to say, you know, what the hell are they doing in the Super Six? <laughs> no, that that was like watching paint dry. And no, I, I have to, I have to wake up at three o'clock in the morning to watch the game. And I tell you, it wasn't much fun. No, I bet you wish Those... you decided to just go fasting instead. Oh, my God. Yes, I know. It was crazy. <laughs> now, was listen, crazy. we haven't got a lot of time, I'm afraid, Steve. Yeah. We'll have to get you on again soon. But what's going on in your world? Because obviously lockdown uh, means that, uh, you know, nobody's really doing very much. But are you working on stuff? Yeah, well, here, because I think we didn't we don't have cold weather, you know, COVID is holding steady. Um, and that, you know, you don't it's not getting crazy, but 
but but we do you know restaurants close early and and there's no live shows or anything like that everyone gets tested all the time i'm waiting for the jab but it looks like the one that i would get here is the chinese one which might not be allowed for for a sort of passport which is a whole other conversation right. that uh, right. i'm sure you you've had about but uh you know i'm just yeah just enjoying my life and um you're looking well and uh congratulations on the show no listen no problem at all we'll talk we'll get you on again soon we need to talk about music uh, and what's going on in the world once things start to open up steve Good to see you. Take it easy. Steve Lillywhite uh, there talking about his beloved Chelsea uh, all the way from Jakarta. He says that uh, Liverpool got a big following there. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.